one, two, three. How's everybody? I want everybody to remain in the spirit, please. That worship time, man, the Holy Spirit was thick here. Did y'all feel the Holy Spirit? And I want to respect that. And I want to prefer that, and I want to honor that. Harold's going to be handing out some, um, some handouts for, our, for taking notes. But we have already decided that these notes are secondary. The Holy Spirit <clears throat> is primary. Why don't you join me in prayer right now, guys? Lord, thank you so much for your presence here. We are right now inhabiting your presence. And we are going to respect and honor that. Your guidance is primary to us, Lord. Father, I ask that you touch every single heart out here to be open to revelation from you and your Holy Spirit. Revelation to their hearts is what we ask, Father. As an act of faith, if you would like revelation from the Holy Spirit today, just as, as an act of faith, I want you to raise your hand. That means your spirit eye will be opened to something that the spirit may re, uh, lay on your heart. Father, you've seen their hearts, you've seen their hands, and so we're expecting revelation today. Thank you, in the name of Jesus. Ray, thank you for letting us uh, come up here and share the wisdom that the Lord has given us. And I, I also want to thank the leadership of this house, Ray and John and David. Um, they are a big part of why we are up here. Right? Um, after 20 years of not being under authority, the Holy Spirit knocked on my heart about a year and a half ago and said, James... I can't use you unless you're under authority. Unless you're submitted to authority, I, I can't use you. You're stuck. And I had to give up some hurts and forgive some leaders that hurt me in the past, but um, the Lord has healed my heart. And I want to thank David, and I want to thank Ray, and I want to thank John for being the leadership over our lives, over this family guiding, correcting, and covering us. And I want to honor you guys right now. Thank you very much. So what happens up here, it's their fault. We take no blame at all. The reason all five of us are up here is because the um, one of the foundation principles behind us raising our kids is they're just not kids, but they are disciples as well. All right. Adam was told by the Lord, he says, be fruitful and multiply. Okay. 
we've done very well at multiplying on this earth. But Jesus said right before he left, he says, make disciples. And we have found that raising kids and making disciples are the same thing. If you guys are without kids, whether you're too old or too young, or your kids have already grown up, you are still called to make disciples. So these principles, even though your kids may be gone, these principles um, are good for discipleship as well. Okay, If it says kids or parents, you can replace it with discipler and disciplee. We are here to make disciples. These guys have been called into the ministry. Okay, So I am bringing them along in this time. Sometimes in ministry, you're called to get up and give a word. And so we're kind of uh, bringing them along so that they can see how scary you guys look and say that, see that they will survive. Maybe close, but they will survive. But that's why they're up here. And they're going to be sharing as well. So we thank you for your encouragement. Um, we have been asked to write a book. And we have been working on that. And many of the things that are in here are going to be in the book. In fact, we're going to read a couple of chapters from that book. Uh, the book will be available in the back for $125 after the service. No. We're still working on it. But um, the, the Lord told us to, um, to name this little talk here, Constructing Christ-Like Kids or Disciples. I forgot to send a new one, but that kids should have disciples there as well. Um, construction, like a house, needs several different things. It needs a good foundation. Okay, it needs walls or what we're going to call pillars, pillars that we um, uh, pro- provide the strength for the walls, and then finally the roof. Foundation. Let's start with foundation. Our foundation in our family is covenant love. God made a covenant with Abraham. He took animals and split them down the middle. It was a custom of that day when people would make an agreement. They would take an animal, they would split it down, they would walk together, hand in hand through this, and saying, if we break this covenant, let it be to me like like it happened to this, uh, this animal. It was a blood covenant, saying, I am in it for the long haul. This is what Claire and I are basing our marriage on is covenant love, not contract love. Contract love says if you do something, then I will do something. If you provide me with this, then I will provide you with that. If you're a good kid, then I guess I'll love you. If you make good grades, then I will give you love. But the foundation for this family is covenant love, which means I'm going to do it all. Even if you fail completely, I am still going to be there. As a parent, this must be your foundation. The kids must know that even if they fail, and they will fail, and you will fail, the covenant love means I will never leave. I am always there. Okay? Through, till, till death, I'm going to be your parent or I'm going to be your disciple. disciple. <clears throat> if you don't have this love in your heart, If you think, I must 
do something in order to be accepted by God, or I must have to go through this education in order to be a discipler. If you haven't realized that covenant love, I am inviting you right now just to simply ask by an act of your faith, Lord, give me and show me your covenant love so that I may love my spouse with your covenant love. I may love my kids with your covenant love, and I may love those that I am discipling with your covenant love. When I was growing up, um, my parents, neither one of them really had a good example of parents themselves. Uh, My mom was orphaned at age eight. My dad had an abusive dad who died when he was in the eighth grade. Um, They, again, they didn't have examples of what parent love looked like. But growing up, they wanted me to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they loved me. And so one of the phrases that my mom used was, we will love you always and forever, no matter what. And I heard that so many times when I was growing up. I will love you always and forever, no matter what you do. And that created for me an environment of safety. I knew that no matter what I did, they would be there and they would love me. And that was never going to change. Um, First John 4.19 says, We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet he hates his brother, he is a liar. Anyone who does not love his brother whom has seen God cannot love God whom he he has not seen and has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Ouch. For a lot of us, that one really hurts because I think when that verse is read, we automatically think of somebody that we don't like or someone that just really gets on our nerves. And does God really want me to love them, even them? See, I think that we really need to change our perspective and start seeing people the way that God sees them and not seeing them the way we see them. Because we look at their actions. We look at the things that they do. Oh, they do this because this annoys me. And we don't see them how God sees them as a perfect child. And I just want to pray for you guys right now that we would just be able to change our minds. Yes, right now in in the name of Jesus, that we would just be able to change our minds, that we would start seeing people perfect and holy, that you call everyone that we see as friend. You call them friend, so we need to call them friend too, and that we would just be able to see them not based off their their, actions because you don't love us based off our actions, so why would we not love them based off their actions? Yes. Yes. Um, in Matthew twenty-two, thirty-seven through 40, Jesus talks about the greatest commandment. He says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest, or this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. If Jesus says these are the most important, then we probably shouldn't overlook them as often as we do. They should probably be like our main focus. Um, This kind of goes along with the first one that Jessica just read. If, If you can't like love how God loves, or if you can't, if you don't know God, then you don't know love, and you don't know how to love your neighbor as yourself. So the first one's really necessary for, for the second one. 
Um, one of our family mottos has always been um, doing all and expecting nothing in return. And I remember um, on my dad's computer, there was a little sticky note and it said, love is doing all and expecting nothing in return. And what that really means is like, no matter what the person, the other person does, you're not in the relationship to try and like get something out of it. And it's not like, okay, if I do this, then they'll do this. It's like, I'll do everything because I love you and because I want to do this to bless you. And it's not just trying to like get something out of it. Amen. Amen. Okay, so that's our foundation, love. Covenant love, serving others first. Um, We had the privilege of making some videos for you guys, and I need to honor a few people here. Would Aaron and Maria and Kitty please stand up or wave your hand? Y'all give them some applause because they have helped produce and star in the videos that you're about to see here. So we're going to show a quick video here about our first pillar, which is authority. Technical difficulties. We love you but it is conditional. We had a lot of fun making these uh, videos. Went over to the Galligan's house, and they helped star in it too. And notice they're around 25 or so years old. Notice how old their, their kids are. I do. Sensing something really strong in my spirit here. I think it's her daughter. I'm feeling that. I really think it's Ashley. So. Hey, Ashley, how was your day? Welcome home. How was school? It was okay. What's wrong? Hey, what's wrong? Nothing's wrong. Is it a boy? Holy Spirit tells us these things. You're under our authority, our covering. When there's something wrong, he, he tells us this. Do you want to talk about it? No. Here. Hey, so the video was talking about you guys are in authority. Your parents are in authority. And the Holy Spirit will talk to you about your children. This child was having trouble with the boy. And the mom and dad were prompted by the Holy Spirit say something was wrong. They were alerted of it. As parents, you all need to be aware of this. You need to be sensitive to it, and you need to do authority or have authority in your kid's life knowing that the Holy Spirit will be talking to you about your kids. There is a, uh, a popular TV show called The Dog Whisperer with Caesar Milan. I've actually learned a lot from him about authority. He says uh, when you go into a situation with an unruly dog or whatever, you need to know who you are. You need to know your place as the owner and the dog as the dog instead of the dog representing themselves as the owner. This principle is the same in authority in the spirit. 
You know, Christ, when he died, right after that, he went to hell, right? And what did he get in hell? He got the keys. Keys to what? To Hades, to life, to death. And as he left, he says, whatever I I have, I'm giving to you. Jesus has given you guys the authority over the enemy. And one of the biggest lies that the enemy has told us is that you do not have authority. Like the dog saying to the owner, I'm in charge. You have to do what I tell you to do. That's a lie, parents. That's a lie, disciplers. You are the master in this. Jesus gave you the authority in your family. He gave you the authority over your children. But you have to take it. You have to uh, command the enemy to be quiet. You have to resist them. You have to push them outside like you would push a dog outside. So when it comes to, uh, when you really understand this, when you come to agreement with this truth, then you're going to realize the authority in the spirit you actually have over your family. We call it spirit work in our house. That comes first. If we sense that there is a problem in our family, Claire and I will hit our knees first and do spirit work and take authority in the spirit first before we address a problem with our kids. Take authority in your house and bind the enemy and release peace. That is also another spiritual authority responsibility. Dads, you release peace. Make it come out of your mouth. I release peace into my house Satan, you have no part in my house. Do your spirit work first over your spouse and over your kids. The second part of this is in the soul. We have authority in the mind, will, and emotions of our kids. First of all, the mind. What do you allow your kids to put into their minds? We talk a lot about TV and what's on TV. Um, For a while, we had no TV at all. Um, when we did reintroduce it, we were very careful on what our kids watched. And even shows that we had approved on a regular basis, this show's okay for you to watch, every once in a while we'd be passing through the room and go, wait a minute, I know this is a show we approve, but what's this episode about? Should you be allowing that into your mind? Because even shows that are generally okay might have an episode here or there that you don't want your kids having put those thoughts in their minds. And so as they grew up, we taught them to be sensitive, even though we had approved a series, is every episode okay? And if it turns out the spirit saying, you know, this really isn't something that's okay today, turn it off. As, as you're growing up, you need to be responsible for that. And so that's part of discipleship, pointing it out and teaching them You need to listen to the Spirit. And just because it was okay last episode doesn't mean it's okay this episode. And so that is part of discipling. Also, molding their will to be submitted to the Holy Spirit. Not just praying together, but yielding to the Holy Spirit. So when we hear the Holy Spirit say, go help someone, well, that takes time, that takes effort, it might take your resources but you need to make a choice to follow what the Spirit is saying. 
And sometimes we don't want to. Yes. We don't want to go help that person over there. You know, they, yes. they were mean to us yesterday or, or whatever it is. And so part of the will is take authority over the will <coughs> and make the choice to follow through on what the Holy Spirit has told you. And then also our emotions. Um, from the time the kids were very little and were beginning to talk, we taught them that they are in charge of their emotions and certain expressions of emotions were not okay. That's right. From the time they could talk, screaming was not an okay way to express anger. Now they could say, I'm angry or that makes me mad. Mm -hmm. And you have to teach them to use those words and express their emotions yes. correctly. Yes. You know, gain control over those emotions. We all have emotions. It's normal, but there is a certain way and we are able to control yes. how we express those emotions. <coughs> and as parents, you have to teach them the right words. You need to teach them to say, I'm mad at you, you know, but not just scream at somebody or hit mm -hmm. them or mm -hmm. whatever, you know, those mm -hmm. two-year-olds tend to do when they're mad. So that's an, as an authority, teach them what is an acceptable way to express those emotions. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, Psalms 127 said, um, blessed is the man who has his quiver full of arrows. How many know that an archer that has a quiver full of arrows and he doesn't shoot the arrow is a pretty lame archer, all right? We have arrows for a reason, all right? Parents, you are the archer. Kids, you are the arrows, all right? As parents, we are, uh, we've got a, a, a limited amount of time to train our arrow, to aim our arrow. Um, and we're going to be talking about this a little bit later in the, in the talk here. But uh, Jessica, do you have those invitations? Jonathan, would you and Jessica get those invitations and hand them out? Uh, in about three weeks, um, Pastor Ray said that we could use... Walker Hall, and we are going to have a graduation slash launching party for Jessica, all right? Jessica is going to be going to Bethel in the fall, and we are inviting all of you to this launching party. Now, let me explain a little bit about what the launching party is, all right? I need... I would love all of you to be there because you all are part of her family. You all have had a part of uh, preparing her to go out. There's three ways we're going to launch her. We're going to launch her in the spirit, the soul, and the body. We would like you guys to pronounce a blessing over her and to rebuke the enemy over her, to encourage her in the spirit. In the soul, a kind word. We gave you a little area down there at the bottom to maybe write a note of encouragement or maybe even something that she may need, to, uh, you know, once she's leaving the house and going off to college, something that you wish you knew before you went off to college. And then the body, she's, uh, she loves encouraging words. That's one of the ways she receives her love. Maybe a pat on the back. Uh, if you want a small gift, that's fine, but it's not requested. But in three weeks, right after church in Walker Hall, we would like to invite you to Jessica's launching, okay? Okay. You know, Ray, 
When they get quiet, it's a little scary, isn't it? (laughs) All right, we're back on the pillar of authority. And remember, it is founded on love. If I have authority and I'm not in love, if I'm doing this for my own purpose, it's not going to be effective. Last part is body, okay? The authority of the body, and that's where the parent needs to be there. I'd like to read a chapter out of our book here concerning authority and the body. When Claire and I were a young married couple, we made a decision that one of us would be at home with the kids until they were at least five years old. It was important for one of us to be there. This was a costly decision, and the cost came in several different forms. Even though it was costly, it was worth the pain. The cost to us was financial because one of us was staying home and not working. There was a cost of loneliness because one of us stayed home with the kids all day while the other one went to work. Some of you moms who stay home with your kids, you know about that loneliness. However, this sacrifice of love was like putting a foundation down for a new building. Without this foundation, our kids' self-esteem would have nothing to stand on. I remember one time when Claire was working and I was staying home with the kids. I was reminiscing about the good old days, the days of being single and carefree, going to and fro wherever I desired. I longed for those days of freedom, but it was time to lay them down, and this is also a cost. Being there for your kids is, in fact, laying the groundwork for future glory. Now, when I say glory, I'm not saying that you're going to rob God of his glory, but rather there is a certain glory and satisfaction when people come up to you and compliment you on your kids. As you nod your head in agreement that they are good kids, you know that there was a price that you had to pay, and that price is love and laying down the rights of your time and your desires to serve your children without any immediate thanks or recognition. It is true that Claire and I missed out on a lot of things our peers had. Mostly they were just material things. But as I look at my three kids right now, I can say without reservation that the price of love was worth the sacrifice. All right, we're going to go on to our next pillar. That pillar is expectations. And I believe we have a video on expectations. The audio may be a little hard to hear because... Maria's getting a phone call. Hey, Bethany. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Kids will always fight. There will be never peace in your house. Always fight, 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 because they're kids. No peace, never in your house. No. Never. No. Never. Bethany, I know people say all the time that kids are always going to fight. There's nothing we can do about it. But... 
Let, let's stand against that. Let's take authority against the devil. And in our house, he's not allowed. Let's stand together against those things people say. Okay. When the kids were little, um, I think maybe Jordan was a year old, so three young kids. I remember being at a friend's house, and it was a mom's group, so there were a lot of kids there. And two of the kids were fighting, and they happened to be brothers and sisters. And one of the other moms said, oh, yeah, they fight all the time. They're brothers and sisters. They're just going to do that. It's just how it is. And instantly, the Holy Spirit said, no, you don't have to live in a house like that. Amen. You're the parent. Amen. You can say, that's not okay with my house. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to take authority over that. And I'm not going to allow that. And so from the time the kids were very young, we set the expectations that that is not okay in our house. We are going to be different. We're not going to be like everybody else. Everybody else may fight with their brother and sister, but not in our house. We're going to have a house of peace. We expect our kids to know their identity. We expect them to be warriors in the spirit. We expect them to take authority. We expect them to pray for others. We expect them to come against sickness. It all has to do with expectations. Mm -hmm. What do you want in your house? That day, hearing that mom say, well, kids are just going to fight, I thought, no, I can set different expectations for my kids. I can expect our house to look different from everyone else's house. And it covers all of the areas. Right? It's all about the expectations. In our family, when we need to make a decision, we get together in the spirit, we seek God, we hear God as a family, we ask the kids, what do you think God is saying about that? And allow them to go first. And at first, it was scary for them. They didn't want to say what they thought God heard, because what if they're wrong? It's okay if you're wrong. It's, we're learning. And so we kept encouraging them. But we expect you to try to hear God. We expect you to step out in faith. And yeah, sometimes it won't work out like you thought it should. But we expect you to try. And that's part of growing up, and it's okay. Um, I remember one time, me and my sister, we were fighting over a shirt, and we both thought it was ours, and I was probably five, and she was probably nine or so. And I remember it was either my mom or dad, they came up to us, and they said, are you creating peace or problems? And we said, well, we're creating problems. And um, they said, well, you, what are you going to do to create peace? And they had this expectation that mm -hmm. you will create peace. Um, and that really helped shape us. And so, like, mm -hmm. whenever we were having a fight, like, what are we doing? Are we, what is our end goal? Are we just doing this to create problems? And, like, what is this accomplishing? Are we going to create peace? Mm -hmm. take you there. Um, in Hebrews 12, 14, it says, pursue peace with all men. Um, and peace doesn't just happen. You really have to pursue it and, like, make the choice that you are going to have peace in your house. Um, if you're a parent and you're 
doing stuff selfishly, then that will create problems. But if you're doing um, stuff out of like covenant love, it'll create peace. Again, this goes back to the foundation of love. If your expectations are rooted in selfishness, if what you can get out of it by a parent, it's not going to work. It's got to be covenant love. I'm giving all, expecting nothing in return. And so we expect these things based in love, based in uh, hearing and following the Holy Spirit. And finally, let's go to body under expectations. Claire already talked about self-control. We are expecting self-control in our kids. All right? A lot of kids, a lot of people come up to us and say, your kids are so different. All right? It's because we put these expectations on them to say, you will be different in public. You will control yourself in public. And Claire, like I already talked about, the screaming kid. We're, n- we're not going to allow that. We're, we're expecting you to control your body. Also, to dress yourself like you represent Jesus. Based in love, we are expecting them to dress modestly. We're expecting them to dress to represent the Lord and not to bring any kind of attention or shame on themselves or the family. We also expect them to save themselves for their spouse. We pray regularly for their spouses. We've done it since they were young. We're doing our spirit work right now for whoever they're going to marry, okay? We're expecting them to not go out and just say, well, all the rest of the kids are having sex and doing all this stuff and sexting. It's like, okay, they're going to do that. We will love them anyway. But we are expecting them to say, no, I am saving myself for my marriage day. Amen? Amen. Just uh, Jordan already talked about them having a fight. I got another story about them fighting. Sorry, girls. They were both being ugly to each other like some kids do. And they were saying some ugly things like, you're this and you're negative that and whatever. I stopped them and I said, all right, I want to hear three things that you like about your sister. Three things you like about your brother. And it took a minute to change gears from the negative to the positive. But the three things that they started saying turned into four and five and six and ten. And I laid down that expectation for them to find the positive in their brother and sister and bring that up and honor that. We are expecting them to see, of course there's going to be negative things, right? But there's positive things too. And we're expecting them to honor each other and their mother with those positive words. All right, let's go on to the third pillar here, which is communication based in love. The third pillar, and we have a video, and I think somebody is late from getting home from work. Let's check this out. He's late again. Man, that kid's late again. He doesn't respect you. That kid does not respect me. This is your house. 
boss. You're the boss. You're in control. I'm in control. He's a rebel. That kid is a rebel. Show him who's boss. I'm gonna show him who's boss. Bust his butt. I'm gonna bust his butt. Hey, Bradley. Can you come here? Yes, sir. Hey, um, I want to talk to you. Do you know what time it is right now? Uh, it's 10.15. What time are you supposed to be home? I, I, I was... How am I supposed to trust you if I can't know that you're home safe? Well, I Because you're making it really be... impossible for me to trust you and even have a job right now. I, I was trying to... How was I supposed to know where you were? I, I was out. You know, I'm tired of your excuses. Just, it's just this just shows that you really don't respect my authority. Dad, just listen okay. to me. What? I, I, I was, I was late getting home because one of my coworkers had, had a flat tire. Why didn't you call me? I'm, I'm sorry. I should have called you. I was just in a rush and I have a lot of things on my mind. Do you forgive me? Yeah, I forgive you. Um. Yeah, 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 I forgive you. I, I'm sorry, I, I didn't respond, I didn't communicate right just now, I, I was also in the wrong. Um, will you forgive me? Forgive me. Okay. Thanks, buddy. Okay. And now you go to bed, you so Bradley was late, Dad was upset, and they had a conversation like many of us have had with their kids when you're frustrated and angry. And just for clarity, that voice in the background is supposed to represent like a demon that's talking to you and guiding you down the wrong path. And that's where you have to take your authority and say, shut up, devil. I'm not going to act in that kind of selfishness. So when you hear that demon in the background that kind of sounds like somebody on stage, it's not me, it's the devil. So, so when you communicate in the spirit, sometimes we tend to jump in, like on the video, and uh, not let other people get a word in edgewise, but it's important that the world might say, think before you speak, but we would say, ask the spirit before you speak. What's going on? How does my child need to be dealt with in this manner? <clears throat> Sometimes there's a good excuse. You know, a, a flat tire happened and he stayed to help, but in the video, we didn't stop to ask what happened. So you need to ask the Spirit, how should I handle each situation? If you're in the Spirit, you won't be angry, you won't be selfish, you won't be prideful or rude or impatient. In the Spirit, there's only love, and that works very well. <laughs> it takes discipline to close your mouth and turn on your Spirit, especially when you're tired. It is a choice. Sometimes you might need to say, I need to... Have a moment, just come back in five minutes. We've done that with our kids a lot. I can't talk to you right now because I'm too upset or and I won't talk to you correctly. So come back in five minutes and then we'll discuss this the correct way. So you need to choose to love by being in the spirit first before you open your mouth. And if you need to step back and take a moment to get in the spirit and get out of the flesh, then that's okay. They'll understand, and they'll appreciate it, too. <laughs> All right, under communication in soul, we have found out that kids will hear you 
differently or you need to communicate to them differently. If you are saying, uh, you, you know, you're going to talk to each kid the same way or listen to them the same way, that's not really love. You need to know how they hear you and how they need to talk to you, all right? Usually when Jonathan needs to talk to me, he'll come in and like get really close to me. Hey, Dad, you're the best. And uh, can I go over and hang out at Nathan's or something like that? Right, Nathan? All right. Where the other kids, they're, they're, they're different, okay? Um, so you need to find out, you need to listen, and you need to know how each individual child communicates to you. Then give them the grace to communicate to you in that way, and that means time. Sometimes they're forming their thoughts. Sometimes they're not sure exactly what to say. You as the parent have the power and the grace to say, just take your time. What do you need to say? Do you need to write it down? Do you need to think about it a little bit? Just because you're in a hurry in communication, that doesn't mean you need to force them into something that they don't, they're not ready to say. Um, Jordan, when she needs to come and talk to me, about something. Uh, th- well, this one time uh, I had hurt her feelings. I had talked roughly and abruptly to her. And she was very quiet, came into the room, head down, and I knew I was in trouble. She had a little tear in her eye, and I had hurt her. And so even though I was busy with work, or maybe I was irritated with something, I had to shut that down. And I had to ask Jordan, Jordan, what's wrong? Can you please tell me how I've hurt you? It took a minute, but she got it out that this is how you hurt me, Dad. You spoke this way, and I think, you know, it wasn't fair or out of line or whatever, and I had to apologize to her, just like the video. So each kid is different, and you need to know how they communicate to their soul. I'm going to be talking about the body and how you communicate through words. Um, Words are powerful, and uh, not to give idle threats to your children because then they'll not take you seriously and to always follow through on your words. Um, Think before you communicate consequences for disobedience, and don't let anything come out of your mouth that you are not willing to follow through on. I just want to give you guys a picture. Remember when God created the earth? He didn't just say, okay, let's put this here and put this here. Uh, he used words. He used words to create everything that we see, everything that we don't see. So why would he choose to use words instead of just creating things? It's because they have power. And if the same God that created everything that we see around us used words to create it, and he lives inside us, do you think that we can use the words to create a reality around us? That... We can not speak down to our kids and say, oh, they did something stupid or they did something dumb. And so you tell them, them, oh, you're stupid or, oh, you're dumb. You don't say that because we want to create in them not only who they are but who we want them to be. Amen. And speak Christ in them. We speak the things that we see in Christ. We say, I see this is who you are. Not what the world says, not what your friends say. This is who you are. And we speak that to them. And we communicate who they are. And then they can grow up and grow in that reality and that identity of who they are in Christ. And even if you want them to be something, but you don't see that in them, you can speak that into them and say, Amen. this is who you are. Amen.
And so with communication, um, I have a story that kind of emphasizes, uh, we say if it's not repeated, it's not received. Uh, when the kids were really little and we were training them to listen and to obey, and, and uh, uh, I had to make sure that they actually heard me first. And because that's the biggest part of communication is to be heard and to have participation on more. the other end. And so if the kids were playing and I needed for them to come and do something, I would say, look at me. I'd wait until it's they no looked more. at me. And then I would communicate what I needed. And sometimes they didn't want to look at me because they were really busy with what they were doing. And so I would go over and gently take their face and point it towards me and away from the toy or the book or whatever they were doing and make them look at me. And then I would give the directions to make sure that they understood what they were supposed to do. And I knew that they understood this principle when Jessica was about three and a half or so. I was over at somebody's house. We were in a church meeting or something. And I was talking with someone and Jessica wanted my attention. And she was tapping me on the arm, and I gave her the little, you know, hold on a second finger. And that, she didn't really like that very much. So she very gently reached over and took my face in her little hands and pointed it towards her so that I would receive her communication. <laughs> so she knew that it was important for someone to look at you in order to get communication. And so even as teenagers, we've had to kind of come back to that sometimes. I need you to look at me so that I can communicate with you. All right. Let's move on to the fourth pillar, which is modeling behavior. Modeling behavior. And I think we have a video for that. Okay. We had a lot of fun doing that. The kids will model your behavior. In this video, the child was listening to what the mom was saying, praying while the mom was praying, cleaning when the mom needed to clean, and then when the mom was dancing, Kitty danced as well. She's a pretty good dancer, right, Kitty? Good job. Uh, it looks like we have a little technical difficulty in the rest of the PowerPoint slides. But they can do it up there? Okay, so they'll, they'll follow along. All right, good deal. Cherie, you guys rock. By the way, guys in the booth, thank you very much for all your hard work. 
Um, I used to be a guy in the booth, and the only time you got somebody to come up to you is when they're complaining that it was either too loud or too soft or too something or change the music. I, that's the one I couldn't figure out. You know, I don't like this song. It's like, okay, go talk to the guy on stage. But um, can you guys kind of, you know, as you're going out, uh, give them a high five, pat on the back, because they work really hard. They come in early, stay late, and uh, we appreciate you guys. Thank you. Modeling behavior starts in the spirit. It is important that you share your spirit victories, share your testimonies, and also share your defeats and how you overcame them. Um, the story that many of you heard already of when I was on the mission field, needed transportation, and the Lord challenged me to stretch my faith, to believe for a four-wheel drive vehicle that I had no money for at all. As a missionary, I had $400 a month coming in, and the Lord said, I want you to have something bigger something bigger than you could afford. You can't afford very much on 400 bucks anyway. So he challenged me to, he said, James, what do you want? And what he was doing is he was breaking off this poverty mentality, or what I call a missionary mentality. If I'm serving the Lord, then I must suffer, and I must eat leftovers, and I'm, I'm going to eat the food that people don't want and and wear second-hand clothes and all this stuff. That's not our position in Christ, is it? That's not our position in Christ. It's a poverty mentality that God wanted to break off of me. So he asked me, he says, what do you want? And I'm like, well, I just want a beat-up old Chevy pickup truck. It's got about 150,000 miles on it. He's like, no, 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 no. What do you really want? And it challenged me to come up with this list. Finally, after several attempts, I came up with, I wanted a four-wheel drive, I wanted low mileage, what was the other thing? I wanted either a red, a black, a gray, or a white one, one of the four, and there was one other, four-wheel drive, low mileage, and something else. I prayed it very, very specifically. By the way, I, at this time I was serving, I was based out of Hawaii, and we were serving the Pacific, Fiji, the Philippines, and everything. Not a lot of cars out there on the big island of Hawaii. We searched for six months, and I couldn't find, but I was still believing for those, those four things. Well, the Lord had me go by this Toyota dealership, and I asked, hey, do you have any new vehicles in? He says, well, we just got one in. It was just handed in by an old couple that didn't like four-wheel drive vehicles. So, well, let me take a look at it. Oh, the other one was automatic, which is kind of hard to find as four-wheel drive automatic. And sure enough, it was a Toyota 4Runner. It was four-wheel drive and automatic. It had 1,250 miles on it. I got it for like three-quarters of the price. And guess what color it was? It was red with black, gray, and white stripes. All four colors. Now, that was a victory and a story that my kids have heard many times. But what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to impart or seed faith into them. 
It is important that you tell your victories and even defeats as a child. Claire already talked about this, involving them in your prayer life. Guys, when we pray, we pray as a family. Why? Because I want them to come along and learn from us. Like Claire said, even though they make mistakes in hearing the Lord, this is the place to make mistakes. As you're discipling someone, as, as you're praying with somebody, pray with them. Hey, let's hear the Lord together. I don't know how to hear the Lord. Well, let's practice, okay? Let's practice and let's learn and develop them. You model what you want them to turn out to be. Um, believe it or not, your kids are like a reflection of you. That's why whenever, whenever uh, me and my sisters are doing good stuff, serving people, uh, people come up to my parents and they're like, wow, you have such amazing kids. They don't come up to us and say, man, you guys are just the best. They come up to my parents because they know that my parents put in a lot of effort and that my parents are responsible for how we were raised. And you need to act, you need to model how you want your kids to act, how you want your, your disciples to act, because they'll be looking to you for, for the best example that they can have. Um, you also need to have balance. You can't be serious all the time or silly all the time. You have to, you have, to have balance with how you, how you behave. Um, my mom and dad know, know very well about this. Uh, they're, they're really silly a lot of times, but they're also really good at being serious when, when we need to be serious. Um, a lot of times when, when we come home from, from church or just a long day, out of the house, our dogs really miss us, and they really want our attention, and as a whole family, we start just like howling along with the dogs, and they'll howl back at us and get all riled up and everything, and that's just a time for, for us to be silly and enjoy being a family and being silly with the dogs and everything. And it's really important to remember that children will model the same behavior that you display because you're their, their main example of how to act. All right. And then in uh, modeling behavior in the body, our actions, um, we, when the kids were younger especially, we kind of made a game out of serving others. Um, church that we went to when they were little often had a luncheon after church and they had these big trash cans on wheels and we th made it a great game for the kids to take the trash cans around and collect the trash from people when they were finished eating and we'd say who can get the most trash and you know it was a fun game for them serving others and we would point out to them where people wouldn't have a need and say, oh, wouldn't it be nice if you would go help them with that? And especially when kids are little, adults think that's really cute. And they say, oh, that's so sweet. And they get huge reinforcement for doing that. That's so nice of you. Oh. And kids eat that up, and it reinforces it. And it trains them to do that on a regular basis. And then they start looking on their own. And they say, how can I help somebody? And it becomes a habit to look around them and see what they can do to help someone. 
All right, the fifth and final pillar is discipline. And before the video goes, you need to know that when you're getting after your kids, if you're in the Spirit, many times the Holy Spirit will be knocking on your door saying, hey, you're doing the same thing you're getting after your kids for. So with that in mind, let's watch this next video. You're not going to believe what just happened. What happened? I got a speeding ticket. Where did you get it? You know, down by the muffin shop. Which muffin shop? You know, the muffin shop. The muffin shop on Drury Lane. Oh, were you speeding? Yes. A little. You know what we tell the kids about authority? Yeah. And remember what we tell them about choosing our attitudes? I, I can choose my attitude, yes. And I choose to have a better attitude. You're not going to believe what just happened. So as you're getting after your kids, be careful because the Holy Spirit may be saying, hey, you too. Thank you, Aaron, and everybody making the videos. Discipline in the Spirit. We talked about shooting our arrows. We talked about the man who has the quiver full. Shooting your arrow takes teamwork. If you're discipling someone, you may disciple this person with others too. Your pastor or another person that is maybe more mature in the Lord. Shooting an arrow takes teamwork, just like shooting a bow takes two arms, two hands. Um, As you're shooting them, the Holy Spirit will direct you on where to aim them, okay? An archer needs to aim their child. A discipler needs to aim their disciple, okay? This takes pressure and it takes discipline. Discipline to say we're going towards what the Lord says for us to do. It also takes this persistent covenant love. That is the strength of the bow. Parents, you've got to stay consistent. All right? That is the strength of the bow. You put your arrows on that consistent strength. You need the flexibility like the string of a bow. Flexible to raise them like they need to be raised, not like any book says, not like I raised my other kids this way or my dad raised me this way, my mom raised me this way. Be flexible to the Holy Spirit to raise them like they need to be raised. And then at the end, you've got to let them go. An archer that's just got this arrow on the bow and never lets it go is a worthless archer. God has given us these children to prepare to be sent, to let go, to be launched into the world. Just like uh, God told Adam, be fruitful and multiply, you need to send them out so that they can multiply. They can have godly children. And they can do the work of the Lord. We also need to discipline in the soul, our mind, will, and emotions. And we talked a little bit about that before. We must be self-disciplined and choose our attitude. Who is in control of their attitude? Who's in control of your attitude? When you wake up in the morning and you're tired and you don't want to get out of bed or you have a headache... 
you still need to be self-disciplined and choose your attitude and how you're going to approach the day. And we all have those days where we just don't feel like it. But there's a choice to be made as a parent. How are you going to parent even on those days? Right? You can either be recovering from battle and, oh, I'm just going to lay here today and the kids are going to do whatever they want to do. Or we can be victorious and say, I'm going to be a parent today. I'm going to get up and do the hard thing that needs to be done. And sometimes it is a battle. I remember. I had three kids in three and a half years. I had days of battling. I got to go be a parent today. I do understand. But either way, you can choose your attitude. Okay, finally, um, on discipline is body. Um, we have a way of disciplining our child, what we call responsibility age. Just because they're 15, that does not mean they get to do what a 15-year-old thinks they're supposed to do. They will be treated like how they are acting. If they're, if they're acting to their brother or sister like a 3-year-old, then we say, what is your responsibility age? What are you acting like? Then you will be treated like what you're acting. Uh, a three-year-old can't stay up and watch TV, right? right? Well, then maybe the three-year-old needs to go to bed early. All right? Just because you're 16, 17, that doesn't mean you get a driver's license and can go out and kill people on the road. If they're not responsible at that age, you treat them like they're acting, responsibility age. And finally, this one may, um, this one may, I don't know, uh, be hard to understand, but it's, we have a saying in our family, there is no fair. And I'm going to read um, another chapter out of our book. The concept of there is no fear is based on, in my opinion, the sin of envy. Envy says that whatever you have, I want one too. In fact, I want yours. As many of you know, I was been disabled most of my life. And younger in my life, I walked on crutches. And at age of 30, I transitioned into a wheelchair. My father and mother, in their wisdom, never raised me as a disabled child. They would not allow me to have a mindset that I was disabled. I was still responsible for chores. I still had to do my homework. I had my responsibilities, and I was expected to fulfill my responsibilities. I was never raised with the mindset that it is not fair that I was disabled and couldn't walk, but rather my parents taught me that it may be difficult, but you will find a way, and you will not quit. As my children grew up, they started bringing home this concept of it's not fair. This bothered me, and I started to see it all around society. On the news, people were talking about the need to be fair for this or that. The kids saw that our neighbors got a new toy, and it wasn't fair, and they had to have one too. In my opinion, fairness is a cleaned-up word for envy. I do not see love in fairness. I would tell my kids jokingly, that if the world was fair, everyone would be in a wheelchair, bald-headed, and have hair grown out their ears. Okay? God made us as individuals. He treats us with love, but not fairness. 
The whole concept of Christ dying on the cross is not fair. It is love. If you wanted fair, um, if you want fair, if you wanted to be fair, we'd all be burning in hell. Rather, Christ loved us so much that He said, "I'll pay your price for your sin." How is that fair? It's not. It's love. God is not fair, but He is just. I raise my kids. Um, as I raise my kids, I do not invoke the principle of fairness, but rather love of justice, of mercy, and kindness. I love each kid individually, not fairly. There is no fair, but there is right and there is wrong. There is love and there is selfishness. We were never meant to be the same. Okay? If we were meant to be the same, we'd have the same job, the same house, the exact same income. We'd eat the same food at the same time at the same place. How boring would that be? God made us all different, and that includes our kids. Let me be clear. It does not mean I prefer one child over the other. I love individually. I discipline individually. I communicate individually. Because they are individuals, each one of my children has a different love language. If I, would fair, if I were to be fair, I'd only give love one way to each of them equally, and that is not love. That's not love, it's fairness. The same goes with punishment. Each one receives punishment differently. Fairness is easy and lifeless, but love costs us something, but it yields relationships. All right, and the final thing is the roof. The roof is rules versus relationship, or as I like to say, um, Legalism versus love. A roof is like a shield, all right? We need to have the shield of faith. I believe that my kids can grow up to be godly parents. If you guys are having trouble believing that your kids can grow up, ask God for that faith. It is never too late for you, for your kids. God is a big God, and he can do a lot with a little. A roof is a cover. It keeps bad weather out. Do not let things in your house that you know is going to destroy your house. Through the internet, through TV, through friends that you allow. Okay? This, ru this rules versus relationship. You're going to love them enough to not allow things to come in and damage your house. A roof protects. Take your stand against the enemy. You have the authority, but you have to take it. Use your God-given authority to resist the devil, and he must flee. Finally, rules can be unbending and, per and impersonal. Rules must have love behind them. Without love, it's just legalism. And we're going to close with this. Something we put together called I Am a Loving Parent. It's roughly based off of 1 Corinthians 13 and some other scriptures. And so this is kind of a synopsis of how we raise our kids here. Clark? I suffer long and am kind because I can choose my attitude. I do not envy because there is no fair. I do not parade myself. Unless I'm wearing a silly outfit and I'm in a parade with my little girl. 
I am not puffed up. Unless it's my chest swelling with pride on how my kids are so awesome. I do not behave rudely. I prefer others and think of them first. I do not seek my own. At least until the kids go to bed, then I go for the ice cream I hid in the refrigerator. <laughs> I am not provoked. Unless it's the enemy provoking, and then I take my authority. I think no evil. Unless I'm on my last nerve and I ask my spouse to take the kids before I follow through on that evil thought. I do not rejoice in iniquity. Because shame has no place in my house. I rejoice in the truth. That is the best place to start growing. I bear all things. By the daily dose of grace I need every day. I believe all things. Even when I need to ask God for the faith to believe. I hope all things. Because it is never too late for God to come through for you. I endure all things. Really? You had to throw that one in there? I put away childish things. Because those childish things are all over the floor and I'm the only one that cleans up this house. I am not a respecter of persons. That's right. I don't care who did it. Everybody's in trouble. I submit to authority. You first, mom and dads. I never fail. Because I will never stop trying to be a better parent. Thank you, guys. Give him a hand again. That was awesome today, man. That was, that, that was amazing. Praise God. I don't know. You know, why don't you go ahead and stand to your feet here? And uh, you know, I I just so appreciate aren't you, an awesome presentation here. And what is so neat is you see the whole family involved. And you know what? To me, this gives me hope for our family. You know, with all the junk that comes against families and authority and relationship, it's just so good to have uh, these principles. And I'll tell you, it was it just awesome presentation. We really appreciate that. We really do. What a blessing you guys were. And uh, I, I, I also want to just take my hat off to uh, James and Claire. And, you know, I just especially, I want to just say this about James. You know, uh, in a world where there's so many people that have this sense of entitlement and feeling sorry, James has never been that way. And he's just such a mighty man of God. And I just so appreciate you, James, as a father, as a leader, as an example. And, uh, boy, today uh, my eyes have been opened up to the, the wealth that God has given you. Uh, I can't wait for you to write that book. That, that's, that, that is going to be a, a winner. So, boy, I just pray you do get that going on the, on the publishing here. That was amazing. Just all... It's just such an amazing thing to have the blessing of the Lord. You, I can just say this to you too. You are a rich man and a woman. Amen. Uh, you are a wealthy, rich man to have your family. And by the way, the same thing applies to all of us here. We, we walk in God's ways and we serve the Lord. How many of you believe the blessing of the Lord will come upon our lives as well? Amen. Let's just pray and close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this amazing word. We, we know that it was more than just a presentation. We know, Lord, that you have sowed seeds into our heart. You've given us hope today. 
But, Lord, our families, even in this world and in this changing culture, that, Lord, there is light and there is, there is a foundation that we can build our lives on, our homes and our relationships. Father, we do believe that you are with us and you are for us and you're not against us. I pray today, Lord, for fathers and mothers and husbands and wives especially, that even through this, that seeds will be sown in such a way that there would be that sense of vision and they would be able to capture, Lord, hope today that we can see and have a difference in our lives as well. Father, we, we, we teach these things so that people can understand and be equipped that we would no longer be children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine or philosophy of man. But Lord, as we build our house on that rock this morning, as we build and as we look to you, Lord, we give our thanks, we give our praise, knowing that you who has begun a good work will be faithful to complete it in our lives. And Lord, we give you praise and high honor this morning in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. All right, God bless you. Turn to your neighbor, give him a hug this morning in Jesus' name.